friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. This is Tim and Friends episode number 13. For this March 24, 2021, live from the Sportsnet Studios in downtown Toronto, I'm Tim McAuliffe, and you are my friends. Well, most of you are. And don't worry, I won't pull a romper room here. I see Jesse and Sebastian. Dated reference, I know. But don't worry, I'm still considered young, hip, and edgy around here. You know what I'm saying? At least for now. Other friends dropping by include my two co-hosts for the day, which is usually the case. Two co-hosts, 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 and then a couple of guests. Two co-hosts today are one ESPN star, baseball insider, longtime friend of the show, Jeff Passan, who really liked the Jays a couple days ago. We'll see if he still does after the Jays announce more injuries than William Matar. Heard in a car? Call William Matar. I never put it off. I call Sokoloff, and nothing's tougher than a diamond. All right, enough. All things from the diamond with Jeff Passan. Coming up mere moments from now. The hour two guest and early favorite friend, Kenny Reed of Sportsnet Central fame. I say early because we'll see how quickly the whole he's a nice, genuine person shtick lasts. You know what I'm saying? As I said, Kenny, second hour guy. And man, is there some real stuff to talk about with him. From the Habs to Tim Peel to former humble Bronco and now published author Caleb Dahlgren, who will stop by as a guest to discuss his book, Crossroads. And yes, what in the good name of Don Koharski is going on with this Tim Peel debate? It is tearing up the internet today with wild wild reactions left, right, center. He went from despicable human, get him out of town, to... Man, taking away this guy's farewell tour is harsh. Especially when this is all that was caught on the hot mic last night. There wasn't much, but I wanted to get a penalty against Nashville early. For those who missed it, he said, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get a bleeping penalty against Nashville early in the commercial break. Essentially... He admitted to the makeup call live on a mic, and now he's done. We all know they take place, but now he's done. The NHL today announced that despite the fact that Peel was set to retire very soon, like he was done after this year, he will, quote, no longer be working NHL games now or in the future. Wow, that was quick. I get he wasn't the most well-liked official in the game, but game management, kind of what anyone who has ever watched a game in any sport understands as part of being a referee in any sport. I mean, that's, that's my two cents. Like, I would much rather an official come over to my bench and explain what really happened as opposed to feed me BS. But I guess this, like many things, is just 2021. Overreactions are the name of the game. Watch, there'll be assumptions on what I meant by saying that and an overreaction to it. Get your takes on Tim Peel and more with Jesse at Tim and Friends 
on Twitter and Instagram. We are going to have that conversation with Kenny. Speaking of hockey, not much is the latest on the Montreal Canadiens today. As always, we will finish and end with hope everyone is okay. After that, you wonder how the NHL and the North are going to handle this. I mean, before the postponement, the Habs had 25 games in 48 days remaining. Now, assuming they restart on time, Tuesday, March the 30th against the Sens, that would leave them with 25 games to play in just 40 days. If you add the week that the NHL has scheduled at the end of the regular season, the week of May 10th, That's 25 games in 47 days. Never mind the rest of the North, which is also tighter than Lululemon's on Sid Sixero. Sorry, the old Sid Sixero. He's Slim Jim now. The Canucks and Flames have the easiest schedule left with 19 games in 40 days. Everyone else is facing more. And the compressed schedule gets even more compressed if you have more postponements. It's crazy. And it's leading to some pretty significant spirals in the American division. Just look at the Hawks. They went through a seven-game in 13-day stretch, went one in six to go from darlings to what the hell. Same thing with the Flyers in March. There isn't much room for the NHL to do much here except push the playoffs back, which is what they didn't want to happen. But, hey, 2021 is filled with things that we didn't want, like Ontario Premier Doug Ford trying to speak 22 different languages without changing his tone or accent in any way. Please stay at home. Garma Raho, Life Alchabet House, Gare Takun, Stats Akasa, Ostani Kodkucho, Ostani Kuchi, Gurie Uchu, Ostani Doma, Dun Menachek, Tisha Ru Babait. Korta Pateshe, Agwaid Gun Dase Wande Rundak, Nase Wanung Skun, Ten Ayayad, Stoi Tasi, Lakushti, Garme Baso, Bertil Tamasikuka. <laughs> All right, there were, there were three cuts in the Mohawk and Ten Ayayad. How about get us some vaccines? I digress. This isn't going all that great for the NHL. Let's hope that this is it for the COVID slowdowns because I'm not sure how much more we can handle and still hold the structural integrity of the season. Finally, the Toronto Raptors remain in the news. Last night, Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN, hitting Raptors fans with a tweet heard across the country. Sources, Raptors discussing Kyle Lowry and Norman Powell deals on multiple fronts. And those talks are expected to extend into Wednesday and perhaps even Thursday. Philadelphia, Miami are interested in Lowry, but both have shown restraint in how far they'll go to get a deal. And then Woj, followed with a story on ESPN.com. Trade scenarios for Kyle Lowry and Norman Powell on what could be a transformative deadline for the Toronto Raptors. Hmm. Hmm. Where have we heard that before? Transformative... 
This just might be the defining moment for a generation of Raptors basketball. There would be tough decisions that had to be made that could change the identity of this team for years to come. When we look back at this in 10 years, we might look at this week as the defining moment for a generation of Raptors basketball. Ah, I see. Allow me to separate my shoulder, patting myself on, on the back. That's right, my last two opening monologues, you know what I'm saying? By the way, check out Tim and Friends on Twitter for either one of those two first things first. And speaking of first things first. First things first. Who is this man? And what has he done with James Harden? Last night, the Nets beat the Blazers 116-112. Harden tied his career high with 17 assists. And the Nets picked up their 15th win in their last 17 games. Like most Brooklyn games lately, it was a very entertaining back-and-forth affair. And without KD and Kyrie, Harden also scored 25, leading a balanced attack for the Nets, with three others scoring 16 or more points. It's the kind of performance from Harden that was almost inconceivable not that long ago. And in the strangest of NBA seasons, perhaps the most unlikely story of all, the Brooklyn Nets are not only likable, but they're fun as hell. Admit it. You didn't want to like the Nets. I didn't want to like the Nets. I mean, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving aren't exactly the NBA's most relatable stars. And James Harden? Well, that's something different altogether. He's spent the last decade earning a reputation as one of the league's most unpopular players. Folks from Medicine Hat, Alberta to Hot Coffee, Mississippi have ripped on everything from his playing style, playoff failures, to his favorite hangouts and fashion choices. You know what I'm saying? Versace. Harden was as much of a scorer as he was a target for everyone's ire. So here he is. I just feel like, Ralph, this style, what Harden does, is manipulating the game somehow, like almost like cheating it somehow. And I don't really have a thought beyond that other than I'm watching something that isn't basketball. When you got kids watching that, it's fundamentally not the right way to play basketball. It is right. not. All I'm saying is that James Harden has had a history yes. of creating of different ways. Rules. I am not going to stand around <laughs> like no damn idiot and watch him dribble the whole time and play with him. That would be no fun. It wasn't just Chuck and company. Heck, even Reddit had a thread suggesting that he performed worse in cities with great strip clubs. Though I believe the uh, OP was way off on his city ballet rankings. Not, not that I would know anything about anything of the sort or anything, you, you know, love you, honey. Okay, so things got ugly in Houston after last season with the departures of Daryl Morey, Mike D'Antoni, then Russell Westbrook. Harden showed up late and out of shape this season. He broke COVID protocol by partying at, you guessed it, <laughs> the ballet, and eventually made it clear that he wanted out even after Houston offered him an extension that would pay him $50 million a year. 50! Look, 
I'm among those that didn't like the way Harden played with the Rockets. The iso ball, the pounding the rock into the ground, the flopping, scoring half of his points, the free throw line. You know, the suck the joy out of the game style. I respected it, but man, did I hate it. But what in the good name of Sean Carter has happened since he arrived in Brooklyn? He's looked like a new man, and I'm not just talking about the Spanx. You know what I'm saying? He has been transformed, not just physically, but also his game. Pass first point guard, pacing the league's most explosive offense and leading the league in assists. Listen, I thought I would be closer to saying that Sharknado was a cinematic masterpiece than James Harden might be my favorite player to watch this season, but... Harden leading the NBA in assists per game, over 11 assists per game. Nice find to Brown, and Brown throws it down. Oh, what a catch and pass. This is just, and that's just beautiful. Harden, ball fake, perimeter, Durant, bottom. Harden looks, oh, a skimmer! Pinpoint accuracy from the beard. Oh, my goodness! What a downcourt delivery! It has been amazing to watch. Does Steve Nash deserve the credit for the changes in Harden? His game now somewhat resembles the coach in his MVP years in Phoenix. Maybe it's just Jason Kidd with a jump shot. Whatever it is, it's fun. Maybe it was the casual conversation with Kyrie. You remember this? I just looked at him and I said, you're the point guard and I'm going to play shooting guard. And that was as simple as that. Or is it just something in the water in Brooklyn? I mean, Blake Griffin hadn't dunked since 2019. First basket with the Nets. Guess what? Griffin on the move. Flushes it down. There's the dunk. The wait is over. Blake Griffin's first basket as a net is his first dunk since December 12, 2019. All right, let me go Sean Carter again, a.k.a. Jay-Z. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Harden is averaging seven free throw attempts per game with the Nets. That's his lowest since his days as the third option in OKC. He's attempting fewer than 20 field goals a game for the first time since 2017, and yet still 11 triple-doubles in 30 games with Brooklyn. He's using all of the angles, finding his teammates in just the right spots, and it's not like he's only deferring to KD or Kyrie. Last night with those two out, He had 17 assists passing to Joe Harris and Bruce Brown and Timothy Lawawu Cabarro. It's probably Timote. I wish it was Timote. Remember the shampoo? Why would I remember shampoo? Have you seen his pick and roll game with Nicholas Claxton? Maybe the best player you've never heard of. Man, I'm going all this way to say it. James Harden is fun again. And it's not just numbers. They're winning. The Nets are 23-7 and with Harden in the lineup. Only seven of those games came with KD and Kyrie. That's right. Their big three have played seven games together with all of the uncertainty surrounding the Lakers' health. The Nets are now the betting favorites to win the NBA title. Harden winning MVP might be a bridge too far, but should it be? I get it. No player has ever won the award in the same season that they were traded. And the way it ended in Houston will most certainly cost him some votes. 
But Brooklyn is looking like a team built for a long playoff run, and I can't believe that I am saying it. But I'm here for it. And I might even have a new idea on a twist for an old New Balance campaign. That's right. He's our fun guy. It's too bad Harden is an Adidas guy. <laughs> first things first. All right, let's bring out the uh, digital producer, Jesse Rubinoff, uh, for this one. And Jesse, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there's more feedback on Tim Peel and the Raptors rumors than there is on James Harden. Am yeah. I right or am I right? Yeah, you're right. James Harden's <laughs> having fun again. Tim Peel, not a fun day for him. We asked online just a couple hours ago. Was the NHL's punishment of referee Tim Peel too harsh or just right? And the reactions, it's a very wide range, Timmy. I think you hit on it in First Things First in the intro there. Uh, Marty says, absolutely not harsh. Garbage that these guys continually try to insert themselves in the narrative of the game. This is appropriate and should be accompanied by a significant fine. I mean, they fired him. I don't think they're going to find him after the fact. But Did they fire him or did they just say you're not refing anymore? I think the belief is that he was fired, but the we'll word see. the wording we'll in the NHL's release doesn't say fired. Doesn't say the word fired. Just says he will not work any games into the future. And he's retiring, so it's an easy way out for them right. to do that. Uh, Sen's army says too harsh. Is this the standard now? If so, how many refs will be left to call games by the end of the year? I hate how bad the refing is this year, but this was a big miss. By the NHL, this I think is, they'll be able to find rest. This is the problem. To. This is the problem, though, is it not? Is is with so many angles and and how you watch games now with the TV coverage, every official sucks in every league. Yeah, like the NBA officials are getting it hard this year. Let's look at the Raptors. Right, the yeah. NHL officials are getting it hard. The NFL officials, like every official, it's a tough job to do. But isn't isn't that what officials are supposed to do? Like, come over to the bench and give you the real explanation on what's going on? Like, that's the part of this that I don't really understand. Like, don't you want him to come over and say, yeah, that was a terrible call, but he deserved 10 other calls, so I'm just going to give it to you here. I think you have to be careful when you're wearing a microphone. Yeah. I think that's just but, the way that – and he got caught. I think so. He's getting a punishment based on wearing a microphone, and he got caught. And that's this, it. But this is what, like – the real conversations that go on and the conversations that are allowed to take place in some sort of public form mm -hmm. are completely different. And that's all we're doing here is the NHL is reacting even though they know that those conversations take place. 100%. They're, they're reacting. They weren't being proactive. Obviously, there's no way to anticipate him saying that, but it's purely a reaction to protect the integrity of the game. All right, you I got any more there before I get on to some uh, interesting Jays highlights? One more. Peter says, 100% fair. Remember, there are people who bet big money on the games. I think that's a big part of it, Whoa, too. That is a huge yeah. part of it, especially moving forward. But I don't know that this will help or hinder in any way the integrity of the game for betters. Yeah. Like, they know what goes on. That's the thing. If you're betting on hockey, you know this is the case. It right. was just verbalized. Right. Like, so they're going to give 10 penalties to one side and then not look yeah. up for a makeup call? Come on. Moral man. of the story is be careful when you're around a microphone. Sorry, what? Be careful around a microphone. Sorry, what, what did you say? <laughs> We're taught that all the time. What happens during the break? 
I ruin it. All right, I've said some interesting Jays highlights. They were taking on the Yankees because they're only allowed to play three different teams in this preseason, otherwise known as Grapefruit League action. And Bo Bichette had himself a game. Took Davey Garcia the opposite way in the top of the first. Now, a little bit of a bat flip, solo blast in the first in spring training. Top five, Bichette again. He's down with OPP. Yeah, and you know him. It's another solo shot, 5-0 Toronto. Simeon Woods-Richardson, third outing of the spring, bottom five. Yankees threatening DJ LeMahieu, who's pretty good ground ball to Vladdy, who steps on third. I'm the first 5-3 if you're scoring at home. And if you are, hey, good for you, man. Bottom of the six, Woods-Richardson freezes Giancarlo Stanton, one of four strikeouts over three scoreless. For the 20-year-old, Jays win 5-0. I was thinking in my head, um, he started the game, and then he was in in the sixth, but he didn't start the game. And I was wondering if I got the wrong number on how many scoreless innings he had. This is the quick mental gymnastics that I do. I'm just an idiot. He didn't start the game. And it was three scoreless. Jays win 5 nothing. Got it good and since you understood. More hockey. The Tim Peel. The Habs situation. Kenny Reed will join me in the studio. Jays catcher. Danny Jansen will join the show. But after the break, one of the best baseball minds out there. Jeff Passan talking Jays and MLB just eight days away from opening day. The Wednesday edition of Tim and Friends coming with fire. Ross Atkins, bit of a buzzkill on Tuesday. This doesn't sound like a multiple-week thing. He might be ready in time for opening day. It wasn't much, but I wanted to get a penalty against Nashville early. They are listening very attentively and for any opportunities they might have. Another takeaway. It's Letitia, me here. And one as Edwards has the finish. Yeah, man, I can always count on her. Blur going across home plate. It literally just turned into a cloud of feathers. Tim McAllifan, friends of the show right here on the Sportsnet family of channels and anywhere, courtesy of Sportsnet Now, our first friend of the show joined us years ago, somewhere between Solon High School and his rise to the top of the Baseball Insider Rankings. He is an MLB insider with ESPN, an author, an Elmo impersonator, and perhaps most importantly to me, he truly understands that Wu-Tang is for the kids. Yes, screw Dallas Lauderdale or Chris Bando, the pride of Solon High. Joins us now, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Passan. Welcome back, kind Boy, of. That is a that is a rousing ovation. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, COVID protocols only three people allowed in studio. Yeah, you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you guys just uh, that was yeah. You got to do better. I mean, you gotta you gotta have like one of those clappers. You know, one of the let's hear it. That's my. Nope, none of it works. All right, passing's out on all that. How are you, man? How are things? Fantastic. Uh, I got a good story running on Friday that I'm very excited about. Can we get Baseball's these? back soon. Very excited about that, too. And uh, even though there's a little panic going on in Toronto right now, I think the 
Jays are ultimately going to be all right. Okay, let's talk about it. A lot of nervous fans in these parts about the recent rash of injuries to the Jays. Um, give me your level of concern surrounding Canada's team. My level of concern in 2020 would have been enormous because it was a 60-game season. My level of concern with a 162-game season where you get to play four months before the trade deadline, where you get to go and plumb your minor league depth, where you get to uh, see just how good this ball club is, is minuscule right now. Now, losing Kirby Yates isn't great. But I think that the Jays and I think their fans understood that when you bring a guy back from the injury that he had, this is a possibility that the greatest predictor of a future arm injury is a pass arm injury. And Kirby Yates was going on a decade plus after his first Tommy John surgery. So uh, I'm not saying that you would expect it. I'm just saying that you can understand it. The one that's got me most concerned is George Springer. Uh, and it's because of the nature of oblique injuries, oblique injuries. Anyone who's had one will tell you that it's, it's almost like you have to wait until you feel good and then wait another week after that. Because if you don't, you have a chance to aggravate that injury again. And if you pull that thing a second time, it's going to take you twice as long to come back. So while I understand the optimism in play, uh, and I'm hopeful that it is just a very mild strain at the same time, losing George Springer for six weeks, which is what an oblique can do would be very problematic long-term. And, and that's where you really hope these are the sorts of injuries that resolve themselves. And you look at the closer situation, Jordan Romano was pretty good last year. Rafael Delis was pretty good last year. These are guys that they can turn to in the meantime, while they go out and maybe find a reliever off the scrap heap like they did Daniel Hudson a few years ago. Maybe they find a reliever via trade, but there are going to be arms out there for them to have. The best indicator of an arm injury is a previous arm injury from the author of the arm inside the billion-dollar mystery of the most valuable commodity in sports. That is Jeff Passan, who is joining me now. And I saw you... I saw. I saw you retweet uh, a column by Aiden Gonzalez of ESPN about how everyone's going to have to figure out going from the shortened season back to 162 when it comes to arms. How big of a story do you think this is going to be in Major League Baseball this year, starting pitching going from where we were last year, pitching period, but more specifically starting pitching, going from where we were last year to where we're attempting to go this year? I think what's going to be really interesting is how each individual team approaches this, right? You know, you look at the Tampa Bay Rays. I was just talking with a pitcher down there, and and he was talking about how many arms they have on that team. And it's not just Michael Walker and Rich Hill and Colin McHugh and Tyler Glasnow. It's Josh Fleming. It's Luis Patino, Shane McClanahan. You can go on and on about the number of guys who they have there. And it's almost like the Rays are going to be going into the season with potentially two full rotations. It's a lot of pitchers there. There are some teams that are not as deep and are going to really rely more on their base of starting pitching, whether it's five, maybe six guys to try and get through the season. And honestly, I wish I had a crystal ball to tell you how this was going to go. I, I just have no idea. In reality, it's, one of those things where if you sit there and try to predict arm injuries, uh, it, it's a tough thing to do. And to, to say that there's a right way to do this is akin to saying there's a right way to bring a pitcher up through the minor leagues. 
And I don't think any team knows how to do that and to keep guys healthy. So uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if there are teams, especially the types of teams that believe they're going to be playoff contenders, that do actually push their arms a little bit harder in hopes of getting closer to full seasons out of them. At the end of the year, though, I'm going to be interested to see, is there going to be a 200-inning pitcher in Major League Baseball this season? Yeah. And my guess is going to be no. I, for me, it's like, is it the creativity that is going to win the day? Is it the stable of arms that is going to win the day? Like, it feels like it's going to be a mix of everything. And a lot of um, pro scouting staffs will be looking for how the successful ones are doing it early. Yeah. And uh, the, the, pro- the problem with that, Tim, yeah. is that if you look at a month's worth of data, yeah. it's not like there's a whole yeah, lot right. there to take away. You know, it's not like you can extrapolate out from a small sample size like that. I will say this. You look at this group right here, and that doesn't even include Alec Manoa. There's a lot of pitchers in the Blue Jays stable right now. And so when Robbie Ray goes down, uh, yeah, it's problematic. Um, and and when Kirby Yates goes down from the bullpen, yeah, it's problematic. But the way Steven Matz has pitched this spring, I mean, that could be one of those deals where we look back a couple months from now and say, this is the thing that pushed the Toronto Blue Jays into the playoffs. I was talking with someone down in Jays camp this week, and he said Matt says looked absolutely spectacular. He said Ray had looked fantastic too, and that those two guys, uh, along with Ryu at the top of that rotation, I mean, uh, you're in a, in a division where left-handed pitching uh, can be absolutely deadly. And yeah. uh, they, they have a stable of good armed left-handers. Yeah, I think the Jays fans were a little worried about how much pressure was on them, but judging by what they've done in the spring, uh, it's been a good response. All right, last one. We got about uh, less than 90 seconds here, but the Jays' starting lineup has looked good on paper. As I mentioned earlier today, it looked good in spring training. How good do you think this offense could be, even though it's still relatively young? I think it could be the best offense in the American League now. Listen, there's some competition there, certainly. You look at the New York Yankees. You look at the Chicago White Sox. Both of them have very formidable lineups. You also look at Bo Bichette, and we saw what he did today. I mean, two opposite fields. Look at that. Like, that right there, pulling your hands in and having the strength to take that ball out, and then on the second one, just tomahawking that thing on a line drive. Uh, you know, I, I did some bets, uh, preseason bets with ESPN and, uh, one of them, I believe was Bo Bichette to lead the American league in hits. Uh, I think he could lead the league in hits. I think he could be a batting champion type of player. Uh, he is really, really good. And the way Marcus Simeon's looked this spring as well, when you add him in and add George Springer to that lineup. Uh, and you're going to have a little more of Alejandro Kirk's bat in there in all likelihood. I mean, top to bottom, we're talking about a very dangerous lineup. And yeah. uh, if Vladdy Guerrero is anything like we've seen this spring, uh, goodness, we're going to be witnessing something that's going to be five runs a night. And that's when you've got the no-break lineup and there's not as much pressure on these kids to have to perform every night. I think it sometimes can loosen guys up to have better years. Uh, Would you stick around and talk to Danny Jansen with me? 
if you give me a better round, you know, let's save the good round of applause for Danny. Like okay. maybe I can clap when he comes yeah, in we'll and we can have four people. Yeah, yeah we'll it'll be great. All the way to four. All right. After the break, <laughs> uh, we will try and get to a round number of four clappers for Danny Jansen, who joins us from Florida. We'll discuss the Jays injury list, his battery mates in the rotation and his expectations for this season. Maybe get a little Alejandro Kirk talk in there. So next on Tim and Friends with Jeff Passan. You got to feel good for Danny Jansen. He is as hard a worker as there is. Here's the throw down to second, and they got him! A strike about, throw him out. One of the best throws this season made by Danny Jansen. Runner going, throw down, they got another one. Danny Jansen has thrown out three runners tonight. You can see that he has really taken it to the next level defensively. And a drive. An absolute no-doubter. Danny Jansen with an unbelievable time to capitalize and crank the granny. Ah, yes. Even in the great white north, it's starting to feel like summer is on the horizon. Blue Jays baseball is on its way. And joining Jeff Passan and I is third-year Jays catcher, number nine in your programs, number one in your hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, Danny Jansen. How are you, Danny? What? What an introduction. I'm doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> we're, we're doing good. We got the uh, the claps. Passon was upset. He only had three claps. But guess what? <laughs> it's COVID protocols. We can't get anyone in the studio. You got four. <laughs> um, That's great. Thanks, guys. Normally, I go to Twitter and see what guys are talking about. But I've noticed that uh, you don't have Twitter. Just Instagram. Is there a method to the madness? Is there less trolls <laughs> on the gram? Is it more fun? Am I overthinking this remarkably? No, you know what? I, I just uh, I removed Twitter. I think a year ago, a little over a year ago. Uh, right. You know, uh, just yeah, I just didn't really didn't really want it anymore. You know, um, I, I always resort back to what uh, Josh Toy had said. He's like, I got people telling me I stink for three hours a day. I don't need people saying for twenty one <laughs> hours on the hair. That's always funny. So it's just removing the negativity, is getting out of my life. So yeah. I hear you. Um, what's the best part about getting into camp, even during a pandemic? The best part about getting into camp? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, the best part of being at camp is just being with the guys, getting ready for the season, and uh, you know, having the new PDC and all that space. It's been, uh, you know, it's been you know easier to navigate. You know, during the pandemic, there's, there's so much more space and. Um, so that's been that's been a huge thing for us. So yeah, just getting back with the guys and being back with the team and getting ready for for the season. Awesome, Danny. Because of COVID, I've yet to meet Alejandro Kirk, and yet every time I see him, I feel like I want to be his friend. <laughs> yeah. Is Alejandro Kirk is fantastic in person as he looks on TV? Yeah, he is. Man, he, he's kind of a quiet kid, um, but he is an awesome dude, and uh, he's a workhorse. Uh, he looks great this spring, uh, not only with the bat, but uh, behind the plate as well. You know, the strides he's made has, has been incredible. So he's an awesome kid, man. Like I say, he's a little quiet, but but he's uh, always got the energy and uh, he's always got a smile on his face and the kid can play. It's funny. You don't often see guys from the Florida State League uh, hit with the big club, but kind of stick with the big club. And I know 
because he doesn't look the role, some people are like, well, what is this? How impressive is it that he's kind of been able to stick from just the high A ball experience? Yeah, very impressive. You know, I think, you know, his demeanor um, coming in right away, uh, like when he debuted and stuff and, and being in the big leagues and his composure at the plate and his uh, discipline and uh, his presence, I mean, it, it doesn't go unnoticed, right? So, uh he does a great job with that, and also behind the plate, like I said, the strides he's made, uh, being a big target, um, able to receive the ball all over the strike zone, and I uh, can throw it too. So just everything about him, he can play. As a guy that's been around for a while, and, and now there is some depth at catcher for the franchise, do you feel more or maybe a little less pressure to have to perform offensively or defensively? Um, I try not to. I try not to really, really feel pressure. You know, it's stuff that I, I really can't control. Um, I just try to be the best Danny Jansen I can, be the best player I can to help the team, and and uh, so that's kind of how I go about it. You know, I just um, you keep your head out of uh, another thing. You know, removing Twitter and all that stuff. Just keeping your head out of that stuff and just controlling what I can control. You know, but uh, it's been great. You know, the depth. I know coming up and stuff with Sal Fasano and Ken Huck to be our catching coordinators. They wanted to make um, the Blue Jays just a. Uh, a nesting of, of, of good catchers that people can pick from and just have the depth like, like we have now. So, you know, it's awesome to have that accomplishment. Danny, I just wanted to thank you for bringing up Sal Fasano's name because <laughs> I just pictured his mustache right now and it <laughs> oh, brought yeah. the greatest joy to my <laughs> face. Like, I, I'm glad that the television audience can see me right now because I knew Sal Fasano when he was in <laughs> Kansas City. He was, uh, he was still playing back then. And man, that guy is the absolute best and has a built-in Super Mario Halloween costume every year. <laughs> totally envious of him. Um, best arm you've seen this spring. And I asked that having heard this week from people down in your camp. Matt's has looked great. Ray has looked great. Mm-hmm. Manoa clearly has some gnarly stuff. Uh, who have you enjoyed catching the most? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you nailed it. And it's Stevie Matt's. Um, you know, having having him and just just looking up what I looked up and and uh, you know seeing his uh, what, what he's done in the past and, and getting to know him and catching him and I, I've had him every every outing he's had in spring whether it's a sing game or or uh, or in a game and uh, definitely formed this chemistry that that we're going to go into the season with and his his arm is is unbelievable man it, it's 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 uh, you know it's kind of sneaky because he hides it and it comes out booming and he's got great off speed pitches. Um, you know, he's developing this this cutter that he's got going to that we've been mixing in. That's just another thing going into righties and a little you know way to lefties. And he's been a guy that's been very impressive. You know, I know he's always had the stuff, uh, but just trying to get on the same page with him early and uh, and and go into the season on a positive note is what we're doing. And you know, so far, so good. So he, he he's definitely one of the guys. Um, you know, like you said, Alec Noah is another guy with the power arm with a great slider. Uh, I caught him one time. I faced him in a. And a lot of BP that was a little uncomfortable. That ball's coming in, coming in hot. Um, there's been a lot of guys, man. Ryan Barucki, another guy who's, uh, you know, he's, he's proven how good he is. But just in, in camp already, he's um, all, you know, all three pitches to righties, lefties, and, and you know the action on it. Jordan Romano, another guy. So there's a lot of guys that are that are coming in ready to roll, and, and everybody's ready to get the season going. I know most ball players get to camp. They smile and say how much they love camp, and then they want to break camp. Um, but, but there's a lot of new faces, a lot of new arms. Like, has it been a busy camp for you trying to figure out all of the new pieces uh, in the rotation and out of the bullpen? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's a, it's a huge focus coming into camp with new faces. You know, you got 
or Tyler Chatwood, um, you know, Matsy, another guy, and, uh, you know, Kirby Yates, he came in and, you, you know, you want to hit the ground running, obviously, you know, with the guys and, and develop that, that, uh, that chemistry and that trust and just really um, trying to get as much reps as you can uh, with each guy, whether it's a bullpen, uh, simulated game, live AB, or in the game. So um, that's definitely a focus coming into camp. Last one for us here. And I've seen the opening day uh, drawn out a couple different ways. Passon and I talked about it last segment. And each way the batting order is drawn up, it looks dangerous. Uh, how excited yeah. are you to see it? Yeah, very, man. You know, it's 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 deep. And, uh, you know, it's it's a lineup that, uh, you know, definitely is scary. It's going to put up some runs and, and give some uh, some comfort, you know, hopefully to the, to the pitching staff and, and uh, so, yeah, it, it's, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to, you know, get the season going and, and go out there and compete. It's going to be fun. Listen, Danny, we really appreciate you taking the time, especially on a game day. Uh, congratulations on the win earlier today, and thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. You guys take care. You too. There is uh, Danny Jansen in Florida. Passing, do you congratulate on a win in spring training? I thought about that after and thought maybe that was probably pretty stupid. Oh, you think? <laughs> All right, time now for Inside the Lions, brought to you by Sports Interaction, Canada's odds maker, 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Here are the preseason odds to win the World Series. Defending champ Dodgers are the favorites, once again, plus 325. Yankees, the favorite from the AL at plus uh, 550. To win it all. The Padres coming off their great season are the third choice around 8-1. to one. Mets and White Sox both 10-1. to one. Jays are close to a 15-1 to one shot. What stands out to you most from that, Passon? It's funny. Uh, did a uh, gambling column uh, last week or so, and I had the Jays at 22 to one as being a very good dark horse. So right. either the Canadian lines are a little bit different or uh, <laughs> people are getting very bullish on the Jays. Uh, of the ones up there right now, though, uh, I think the Atlanta Braves are so remarkably overlooked. They were up three to one over the Dodgers in the NLCS last year without Charlie Morton, without Drew Smiley. And without Mike Soroka, all of whom are going to come into that rotation and join Max Freed uh, and Ian Anderson this year. Uh, it's a great rotation. It is a great lineup. Uh, and you see a guy like Austin Riley, who may hit seventh this year, just hitting two mammoth home runs today. You've got Acuna, you've got Alpes, you've got Swanson, you've got Freddie Freeman coming off an MVP season. Uh, Braves at 11 to 1 sound great to me. That's an interesting, and, and I. As you're saying that, I'm saying, yes, they have been overlooked. Do you know why? Like, is it the history of the franchise? Because you look at the lineup, you see the stars. They shouldn't be overlooked. I think a little bit of it is probably their bullpen. Right. And I think a little bit of it is is history and is, is the cursed town of Atlanta. I mean, I grew up in Cleveland. I know what sports curses look like. <laughs> and when you got 28 to three and when you got three to one and when you've got, listen, anytime you have a bunch of numbers and you know exactly what they mean, that's a problematic thing for a sports sound to have. Uh, before we let you go, Passon, and you've been splendid. You've been wonderful, despite the fact that uh, you agreed with me that I was an idiot, an idiot for talking about a win in okay. preseason. Um, Josh writes in and says, Passon has an old school Nintendo in his background and adds fire emojis. 
What games do you have for said old school Nintendo? Why, I never thought you would ask, Tim. <laughs> Mike Tyson's punch out. Classic. RC Pro Am. Meh. Original Super Mario Brothers. Oh, aren't those worse? And, of course, RBI Baseball. Oh, there you go. There's two classics. You know, I used to play RBI, and I used to keep my own stats. It's not very realistic. I'm going to tell you that right now. Hey, hey, Tim, <laughs> congratulations on your RBI wins. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. I take them with great pride, unlike some about their spring training wins. Um, let me ask you a question. Were you good at any of those games? And be honest. Uh, I never beat RC Pro-Am, but I definitely got like very deep on the race car. Um, I have beaten Mike Tyson's punch out. I have beaten Mike Tyson. Really? And I still in my, in no my phone, code? actually. Uh, yeah, but, th- but I could beat uh, super macho man and all like, get out of here. If it's a cheat code, it's not real. I have beaten it from start to finish, <laughs> okay, but I'm okay. saying That's if I want to just code, skip yeah. to Tyson. That's not cheat code. We're going to fight yes. a lot. I got to go. Thank you, Passin. Bye. <laughs> See you. <laughs> and now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McCallum and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Chief Docs. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Lots of juicy hockey talk coming your way in hour number two. It sounds kind of gross, but either way, Ken Reed is standing by to discuss this hockey talk. So is Elliot Friedman, who stops by 3 of 31, the latest on the Habs. We'll also discuss Tim Peel's hot mic with both of them and ask them if they've ever been caught by a hot mic before. Plus the inspirational Caleb Dahlgren a little bit later on. It's Wednesday, which means goes to Bank Wednesday Night Hockey. It was going to be the Oilers and the Habs, but with that game postponed, Hockey Central is coming up at 7.30 Eastern, followed by the Sabres and the Penguins. Buffalo losers of 14 straight heading in. I don't want to say it, but the NHL record is 17. Uh, Jets and Canucks regionally later on Sportsnet Pacific. Meanwhile, we have some afternoon evening action underway in Calgary between the Sens and the Flames. That's right. They've already started. And in warm-up, little brotherly love, Brady Kachuk, brother Matthew, no interaction, no engaging, skates away after a little bit of a tete-tete after the last affair. Speaking of that... How about some of this? Colin White from behind on Sam Bennett. Johnny Goudreau comes over. Milan Lucic comes over. And White got called for boarding. Later, Josh Levo, partial break. Uh, when we show you highlights of Josh Levo, partial break, it means it's scoreless and not much has happened. So that's exactly where we stand between the Flames and the Sens playing Of course, the afternoon action. We are now 21 hours away from the NBA trade deadline, and Raptor fans are still waiting to see if Kyle Lowry and Norm Powell will be dealt and where they will end up. We'll keep you up to date with the latest and maybe work through some trade scenarios in last call. By the way, word tonight is both are going to be playing. So if that tells you something, 
As of right now, they both plan on being in the lineup. Meanwhile, Michael Grange, more info on the Pascal Siakam Nick Nurse incident in Cleveland. After his roundtable appearance yesterday, uh, Grange went and wrote an article that was posted this afternoon. Uh, Siakam wasn't happy, according to multiple sources, and let Nurse know about it loudly and aggressively with words that went beyond standard cursing. It got personal, lines were crossed, and teammates had to intervene. This again from Michael Grange, according to multiple sources, and you can check it out right now at sportsnet.ca. In fact, in case you don't know where to go right now, we will put it up for you on our Twitter account so that you can just go Tim and Friends, click, and read Grange's report. All right, time now for our second co-host of the day, and he is quickly becoming a favorite friend least among those on social media. The pride of Pictou County, Nova Scotia, and apparently the 1990 Pictou Golf Club Junior Champion. Juvenile. Juvenile champion, or so the beat-up trophy that he drags around tells us. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the show, reading another book, this one entitled Dennis Marook. Kenny Reed. It's... uh... It's amazing that I can both correct you on the title of the trophy and yeah. read one of the six books I've written at the same time. Just let me mark this book with my own hockey card here, and I'll get back to it. Um, I've, I used this shtick the first week, too, if you the, recall. What's the name you did? Dennis Marouk, The Unforgettable Story of Hockey's Forgotten 60-Goal Man, forward by Marcel Dion. Why are you reading it? Don't you know it? It's a cheap plug, Tim. Oh. Come on. Do you well, think but I, was... I thought you would know the name of the book. You were reading it off of the book. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, okay. And is it Denny Marook or is it Dennis Marook? Because Dennis, I feel like the... Dennis, but you can call Dennis Denny. He doesn't mind. You can call me Kenny. I don't mind. I feel like the old school guys call him yeah. Denny. Denny, yeah. I call him Denny or Dennis. But, yeah, he's a beauty. He's a beauty guy. Caleb Dahlgren, another beauty. He's coming up later. Yeah, so got, I, I've read that book. book. That that book that Caleb wrote, Crossroads, is, I mean, it's... His story is absolutely incredible, and what he went through before the Humboldt bus accident is absolutely incredible, too. So it's it's an amazing read, so congrats. It's funny, because I won't say this when he comes on, because I'd rather talk to him about the book. Yeah. But having... I haven't read the book. Mm-hmm. Having read the excerpts in preparation for talking to Caleb... Yeah. ...has made me want to go out and get the book. Then mm-hmm. I listened to him on 31 Thoughts... Mm-hmm. With, and I know he's done a little bit of a book tour over the last little while, but I listened to him with Merrick and Friedman, and I was like, wow, there's so much more to this story that yeah. I had no idea about. Yep. And to be honest with you, he's, I hate saying this about someone, especially when you're about to talk to him, and especially about, is he 23? Yeah. I think he's 23. He's inspirational. He's absolutely inspirational. Yeah. Uh, I met him a couple of years ago at a golf event in Prince Edward island uh for the summerside boys and girls club and what you see is what you get he's just a genuine good kid who's been through more than anyone could imagine uh, or anyone should have to go through and he is he is truly inspiring and to to write a book on your life at 23 you'd think well what can you put it i don't know what i'd put in there but man he's lived a life and he's an incredible kid he's going to join us uh we'll talk to him crossroads caleb dahlgren coming up all right uh if you missed 
the Preds and Wings last night, you may have missed what turned into the internet debate of the day. A lot of people missed it last night. It started last mm -hmm. night, but today it turned into a full-blown debate after the NHL ruled on what Tim Peel did in last night's Preds-Wings game. If you missed it, after a questionable call, he goes to the bench and tries to explain, except his mic was hot, and everyone heard this. It wasn't much, but I wanted to get a penalty against Nashville early. All right. So after that was heard, runs wild, as things are wont to do on yes. Twitter. And then today, the NHL produced a release with quotes from Colin Campbell that said he will not ref again. What did you think when you first heard it and then when you saw what the NHL ruled? Well, when I first heard it, I'm a pretty forgiving guy and I just thought oh man that stinks Tim got caught on a hot mic because if you know anything about hockey in the NHL you know that the refs manage the games not all of them it's kind of like speeding not everyone speeds a lot of us do probably most of us he got caught speeding uh, I read a great tweet from Rob Tchaikovsky of the Edmonton Sun mm -hmm. today and he said the number one rule about Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club <laughs> and Tim Peel got caught talking about Fight Club on a hot mic that was around the penalty box or wherever he was when he was talking to Kelly Sutherland and I mean uh, our producer last night John Adams came running into the studio to talk to Danielle Michaud and I and he's like oh man Twitter's freaking out about this and I thought oh my god who doesn't know that the refs manage the game but it's not the fact that we know that refs manage the game it's like the FBI when they went after the mafia. We all knew that the mafia was doing something, well, but, but this is the smoking gun. So now it's out there. So now the secret's out of the bag. The, the thing that everyone knew has been confirmed. So uh, Tim Peel, the league had no choice, really, so, to, but to dismiss him and not let him ref another game this year. And he was set to retire him. Hold, hold on, hold on. Slow okay. it down. The, the I, no, I never slow down. The, the, I know. The no choice mm -hmm. to me is... Like, hold on a second. Don't they use that verbiage themselves, game management? Do. Of course they do. So then what the hell are we talking about? It's, it's, a, like, it's like perception and reality. And in 2021, I understand it. It doesn't mean okay, it's right. But, but it's this. It's we are, we are it, told by our overlord bosses to be yourselves on Twitter. But if we are ourselves a little too much and it doesn't go over well with people, we're going to pay the price. So you, your bosses can tell you one thing, mm -hmm. but you've got to manage it yourself. And Tim Peel just, he said, the, he talked about Fight Club, like Rob Tachowski said, and you can't talk about Fight Club. And that just took, that took it right out of the league's hands. But this is my problem with this, that you and I are held to a different standard than someone doing a podcast, and that's why podcasts are huge. Right. Right? Like, there's this disconnect in society right now between the way people actually talk and what's expected on public forums. Mm -hmm. And some of that is great, and some of it is terrible, but we don't... And it's often hypocritical. And it's, it's remarkably... Which is where we land right now. Right. Absolutely. This seems hypocritical to me, mm -hmm. and it's the same thing like trying to do a cop show on City or CTV, and then the one on Netflix where they can show the dead body and they can show the guy swearing. Yep. And people talk differently than you and I even. And I think that one of the things about this show or what we always tried to be was authentic. And, we, and, and, and you're nailing it because we have to be authentic but at the same time not cross that line where we can get into trouble. Last week you're doing a hit with Jeff Blair before right. the show. And you said, Kenny, Jeff Blair says hi. And I literally swore in the background. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, and you, and you said, I'm on the radio. And I went, oh. 
And I had that little second of, did I just caught, get caught swearing on the radio? I didn't, luckily, in this business. We've talked about it. Jesse, I heard you talked about it. You have to know you're on a hot mic. There's mics hanging all around NHL arenas. There is no one in the stands. But, the mics are picking up things. And Tim Peel did what a ton of referees do. He managed the game. You've played enough hockey. We Back in the day. But on the, what when I'm I was saying on the pick, is, why does that end his career? Why does he not get he his got last caught. game? He got caught. But we know he. We know that guys do it. We don't not, know, but it's the smoking and, gun. We know. We know. We know. OJ did it. They just didn't have the smoking gun. <laughs> I love how this goes. It's to OJ. the smoking gun. No, but what, what I'm saying is, why do we have to be hypocritical? Why couldn't the because NHL? society is hypocritical? It's 2021, <laughs> coming off 2020. I, We're all a bunch of hypocrites. I know, but the NHL came out right after the day. Fastest like they, investigation ever, by the way. <laughs> no, well, they didn't need an investigation. It was on Mike. I'm just saying, like, couldn't they have the guts to have said, "Listen, we Tim knows that." This isn't something that we look forward mm-hmm. to, or that we um, that we try we we try and stay away from. Whatever the language is, when when you end up coming out and saying in no uncertain terms what half the league is doing, right? You can't help but, but have people shake their heads. That's at you. what I would have liked for to have happened, right? And give Tim one more but game. That's what I'm However. Guess what's coming up probably in the fall? Single game betting. I right? Know. And that's... So the league has that hanging over its head, so they can't have a ref having that much influence on the game if something doesn't happen. And we. But the look, refs not... have that much influence they, on the exactly. game. Exactly. They call whatever they want. There's areas where, is that a hook or is not a hook? Sure, it's a hook. No, that's not in a hook because there's game. two minutes left. When I played for the Picto Maripax, you know what we called a makeup call? We called it we called it a suck hole call. Oh, there's a suck hole call. Oh man, we just got a weak call on a weak call against us. Well, we got to have one coming up every game you watch on TV. What do you hear? How did that well, get up in my studio, by the way? <laughs> because I'm making myself at home, baby. <laughs> You're not paying me to be here. I'm doing what I want. So look. We all know, and we hear the we hear that hear it on every game from the commentators. You know what? The Canadians just got four penalties in a row against them. Toronto better be careful. No, we I- know it's coming, but this is the smoking gun. He got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. He got caught by the OPP in the speed trap. We know everybody's speeding, but you got caught, so you have to pay the fine. Um, I want to get the guy's name right, um, and I think it was Billy Watson who coached my dad in Windsor okay. when they won the Allen Cup. And he had a rule that my dad brought to teams that I played on. And if you ever had a two-man advantage, you weren't allowed to hit anybody. You weren't allowed on the two-man advantage. Okay. You were not allowed to hit anybody. You're kind of taking yourself out of the play unnecessarily, I guess. No, you do that. because it, you knew that the referees were oh, looking for see, the call. Tom's a wise man, right? Yeah. You knew the referees were looking for the call sure. to even it up a little bit. And and we sit around and we're sitting here having this argument, and people are having this argument on Twitter. We know what the real deal is, yes. and yet people are still having the argument yes. the other side and, and saying, "Well, you had to do this." And that guy coached your dad when the night. 1960s? When I was in probably the 50s. Okay, so that's been around for that long. The makeup call has been around for that long. We all know it. It's like speeding. We all know pretty much everybody speeds. You just got caught. What I find interesting about this is going forward, does this change the way the games are going to be refereed? Do you finally say, okay, no more game management? You're going to call everything? Well, you're going to call holding on every play in the NFL? There's a penalty every play. That's what I heard on Twitter last night. I was I was hearing, and I and I know Paul Stewart was really passionate about it too. I heard you called the book, you called the rule book, and I'm like, 
what game have you been watching for the past? What like what sport do they actually call the book in? It's all about interpretation. Tom Wilson got a seven-game suspension, mm-hmm. and it was not penalized on the ice. Correct. A year ago, I did an entire pack, an entire a roll of plays that weren't called on the ice, and then later the NHL went back and suspended the player mm-hmm. for the very call they didn't call on the ice. Fast game, my rear end. Yep. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Having said that, fast. this, the National Hockey League, is by far the most toughest game to officiate. By far. Yeah, it's the fastest. Yeah, I'll tell There's you, There's bodies NBA. everywhere. You're skating. NBA. You're skating. I get it. There's boards. I heard that too. You're and skating. there's a stick. You got to get out of the Every way. Every game is tough. How do you see the inside of a line in football? Uh, okay, listen. Do you call uh, are, are everything you in basketball? To, uh, no, but compa- basketball. Hockey's way tougher to referee than basketball. You got to be watching the puck. You got to be looking at guys going at each other behind the play. Okay? Way tougher. Don't even compare it to basketball. There's, basketball, touch, there's look, touch fouls, Kenny. Look, go, go listen to basketball. Let's do a podcast about basketball called Whistleblower. And then, yeah. you know, then we'll get going into basketball. Basketball's a whole other kettle of fish, but hockey's the, by far the most difficult, and I still laugh it's at just baseball. just because you know guys that are referees, and you're just trying no, to be nice No, I'm to them. not. I know guys that, I used to know a guy that was an ump, and they just sit there like this, bull, and then they get half the calls wrong as well, and they don't have to move. <laughs> I'm not saying physically taxing. It's hard to do this in any sport. Hockey's the toughest. All right, we got to take a break. Will you stick around? No, I'm Against mad. my better judgment. Of course Up I'm going to stick around. I have work to plug. <laughs> Up next, Elliot Friedman. Uh, we'll join. He'll, he'll come into this car. Maybe he can play arbitrator. You yeah. think so? Yeah, he's pretty smart. Uh, and he also likes to be the guy that knows everything. So we'll see if he knows everything on this Tim Peel thing and the latest he on the Canadians does. being he shut down. He does. He does. We'll let him do it next on Tim and Friends with Ken Reed. Tim and Friends, those friends, Kenny Reed. And time now for 3 of 31, brought to you by the GMC Sierra 84, the premium off-road pickup truck built for adventure. That all means that Elliot Friedman is also joining the Frey Fridge. We were just going back and forth in the Tim Peel, and I don't know if you're sick of it yet, but Nick wrote in, and don't show the tweet, guys, because there's some cuss words here, but he says, you guys are effed. Is it wrong for a ref to dictate, excuse me, it is wrong for a ref to dictate the outcome of a game just because it happens in caps doesn't make what they do right. Mm. We were talking about game management. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the right way to officiate a game? Well, I'm going to go a bit off the board here, guys, because I don't believe that this is really necessarily about the way the games are officiated. I I think there's another issue here. Okay. And that is that when you take a look at Colin Campbell's statement from today, he talks about the integrity of the game. And right now, we are going to see more and more sponsorships than ever that cross over into the world of betting and gambling. Ding, ding. And that's what I think this is about. You cannot have in any way create the impression that you are... Uh, fooling around with the product when people are wagering on it and more and more is going to happen now that's not to say that i think tim peel is crooked or affecting games intentionally or anything like that i don't believe that but what i do believe is that you cannot allow the impression of it being created now i was told a story today that when tim donaghy uh that situation exploded in the nba in 2007 
um, the NHL did a deep dive into that, into its own officials. They asked, do we have anything to worry about here? Do we have something that we need to worry about here? We can't have that. And there was specific language put into the CBA between the, uh, the league and the officials that, you know, you can't be involved in these kinds of things. So I, I honestly believe, Tim and Ken, that that's what this is about. That it's, it's not about the call or about game management, although it's led into a huge conversation about that. It is about that if you're going to have confidence uh, putting money down on these games or the the prop bets or whatever, that you feel that you have uh, faith in the overall intentions of the people refereeing it. You said, will Elliot be the smartest guy in the room? Because he always is, and he was. He nailed it. That's it. Follow the money, man. And this is, it's, it's just an obvious move for the NHL to make. I mean, if you're caught on Mike saying that, and Lord knows I've been caught on Mike saying stuff. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I just don't know that it, it I, I understand it. We've brought it up several times, the betting angle on this. Mm. Um, I just don't know that that is the reality of how any game is officiated. And I know that people want to use the word integrity, mm -hmm. but I also know if I'm sitting on a bench, and listen, I've never done it at the level, but if I'm sitting on a bench and a referee comes over and says, listen, there were seven calls that I could have made, and I made that one. Mm -hmm. I understand that a lot more than the what the hell was that call. Right. Yeah, you know, I think I think this is all true. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think the reason is, like, we all sit here and we bitch about officials and we say that's a good call or that's a bad call or that's a terrible call or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, for example, Bobby Taylor, who used to be the Tampa Bay uh, TV uh, color analyst, like he used to drive the league crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, I remember I was I was talking to him once, and officials saw me, and they're like, "What? Don't talk to that guy in my <laughs> presence." But we all do that. It's a cottage industry, right? But there's a big difference between, um, you know, us thinking that the way they do something might be wrong and an actual reason to believe that the way, like a documented reason to believe that the way they do something is wrong. And, you know, like I said, it, it's going to lead to a whole conversation about the way games are officiated, and I think that is a separate conversation. Mm -hmm. But what this to me is about, Tim, is that you cannot give anyone, like one of the first guys who did the story on this last night was Darren Ravel. And Darren Ravel is an influential reporter who um, does a lot. I think he works for Action News and Action yeah. Gaming Network, whatever yeah. it's called, right? Yeah. So, like, that's like that doesn't go unnoticed, and I do think that's a big part of this. That's to I mean, uh, to me, that's that's just totally what it is. But uh, uh, but like you said, I do hope that this looks at a bigger picture of how we do officiate the game because as a fan, and when we're watching a game, and, and I was saying to Timmy in the last segment, you'll hear our color commentators say, look, that's four in a row against Montreal. Toronto mm -hmm. better be careful. And that stinks because I think we all know a makeup call when we see it. And it kind of, it, it, it's sour. And I hate that. I hate the narrative of the ref doesn't want to be a part of the game. Well, the ref is a part of the game. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. if it's obvious, call it. The chintzy makeup calls, they all kind of stink. And if this is the end of the chintzy makeup call or it leads to that, I highly doubt it's immediately going to be that. But I, I say bring it on. You know, I, I think there. I think a couple things. Now let's go into the refereeing conversation again. Yeah. So, we had a situation out of the 0405 lockout where they said we are going to change the game. Look out, and we are going to do this, and they did. And there were a ton of penalties called. And you know, t that's the question: is yep. 
how do we, and I say the royal we, um, want the game to be officiated? Because I think if, if you ask 300 people, you're going to get 300 different opinions. Yeah. Do you, there's going to be, like, like Steve Eiserman, I remember, was one interviewing him in that first season after the lockout, and he said what he thought was going, what, he thought what was going on was unrealistic. And he wasn't the only person who felt that way. I do think there are, one of the things I've been told today by players is that this year, they feel that too many boarding calls are getting missed. They feel that there's, like, they're yeah. getting some of the, uh, the word I, I, I heard was like chintzier calls. I don't know mm. if that's a fair term, but that was the word that was said to me. But the boarding and the between the number is getting mixed. There's always going to be disagreements on how many calls are going to be made and not made. But I think that's part of the problem is I've, I've seen people say, call the rule book, call the rule book, call the rule book. And in 0506, when they called the rule book more than any time in my lifetime, there were a lot of people, including star players, who complained about that too. So... You're never going to make anyone happy. What do you want? Yeah, well, that's that's mine. That's, it's, it's a tough job. That's what, and, and you it's know, a makes, really tough job. To me, what makes it tougher is the two-man system. Because I, I like the the, yeah. the one dictator and a player going into a game going, okay, you get we, we got back. Don Koharski tonight. We know what we're going to get. As opposed to, like, what if you and I are both refing no, a game and you think saying. it's a hook and I don't? Do I, am I hesitant to call it because in your eyes it's not? I think that's just really be, complicated. I think this is just recency bias, and then you'll get the guys behind the play pitchforking backs and knees yes. because you don't see <laughs> Bring it. Bring it on. <laughs> because I just I think what happened here, honestly, is I think that it's a really hard job we, we could go through it every game and say, here's a mistake, here's a mistake, here's a mistake. We do. Because it's that hard, but you want some sort of consistency. And what happened here was a guy explaining his inconsistency, and the only mistake that he made was he left his mic on. Actually, you know, that's one of the interesting stories here, Tim, because I'm not sure it was his mic. Yeah, it was a um, mic hanging around the, the, the arena, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, like, because like, one of the things people were asking today is, do you think the referees are going to refuse to wear mics? And we're on now while there's a couple of games on. Calgary's playing Ottawa and Minnesota's playing Anaheim, and they're wearing their mics. So that's the first answer. But I don't, I don't believe that was necessarily the official mic because for that to go to air accidentally, it's been explained to me because I'm a poodle. I don't understand the technical <laughs> nature of the, of the broadcasting. But it's been explained to me a lot of things have to go wrong for that to make it to air unintentionally I think it's more likely that was an arena mic what's called a, an effect mic mm -hmm. and that's going to be to lead to another question because with the fans not being as popular uh, populated in buildings right. they're picking up a lot more things than normal yeah uh, Fridge always great catching up with you we appreciate it. hey is there any any news I didn't see anything on the Habs like is there anything else today that we need to know about I am under the impression that we are getting closer, if not tonight, then probably tomorrow for a schedule for the Canadians, an okay. idea of what they are, we're going to be looking at. I don't know, like, I think it's possible they don't play until next Wednesday, Tim, but until that's confirmed, um, you know, like I said, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm using the old Doug McLean time, I'm telling you what I hear. Right, okay. Without the PEI accent. We'll, uh, we'll wait and see on this one because it's going to have a dramatic effect on how the North... Uh, Seriously, your phone just went off during this, Elliot? Seriously, you're on DV, you know? <laughs> Is that your Doug McLean? That's my Doug McLean, yeah. <laughs> right. Fridge, appreciate it. Okay, take care, guys. Have take, a great take night. Take care, bud. <laughs> That's not... You're just doing a PEI accent. That's not Doug Where's McLean. Where's Doug from? I know, but that... <gasps> yeah, yeah, I am, yeah. 
It's generic PEI guy. That's what that well, is. Well, that's who Doug is. <laughs> Doug is the most generic PEI guy ever. All right. Jesse. We had to pry the rubber boots off him before he came in the studio. <laughs> uh, Jesse Rubinoff has some tweets about the last conversation. Go yeah, that was a fiery debate, fellas, and uh, generated a lot of reaction online. Sandra writes in, Fight Club reference is spot on. I still hate that it exists, but the fact that we can't talk about it is vexing. I'm going to fire through a couple of these because okay. they're good. Uh, DB says, good debate, gents. Tim Peel's situation boils down to old school versus new school. Timmy, which side, or uh, Kenny, which side are you on? I don't, I don't, think, know we, I don't think we got it. I don't new school yet. Yeah, I don't know that. I don't know that's old school, new school. I don't school. think there's I mean, a new school yet. Yeah. That's an interesting one. You got more? I but do I have am, more. I, I, have a I like more. to keep things old school, though. As you know. I know you do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't know... Uh, we know which side you're on of that debate. Bucks in deep. Uh, John says, I'm not convinced every ref is like Tim Peel, some maybe most, but there are definitely refs out there with integrity. In the age of image That's... management, the NHL had to send a message. Kenny is right, picking sides in the debate. I just don't know that that's integrity. That's my point. Like, the guy was over explaining his inconsistent yeah. call. I think Tim like, Peel is full of integrity. I think he's, like, I think Tim Peel, you don't ref 22 years in the NHL by not being good at your job. Right? He, he, great, he doesn't grade out as one of the best officials in the game. No, I think that played into the... the but that's why he's doing Nashville-Detroit. Right. But, I mean, I just this don't, is how it is. To now, act like now that's integrity. The, no, but this is how it is, and now we have the absolute evidence. We have the smoking gun. Right. If it does not fit, you might... No. Yeah, I got glove. one more thing. You guys mentioned the Flames uh, and Sens. Yes. Flames and Sens are playing yes. right now. Yeah. Uh, the Flames have scored. It's one nothing. Dylan Dubé scored. Boy, Dylan Kyle Dubis, Leafs GM, in attendance for the game. Eric Francis saying that'll get the chatter going. Kyle Dubis in attendance at the Flames Don't game they play there next? in Ottawa. They do. Come on. But since Kyle Dubis said that he'd be willing to trade anyone in the system... You know, it's funny. It's also flying, the only right? game he can scout tonight, isn't it? There's any other Canadian team <laughs> yeah. I, I, I asked, like, why was Kyle Dubis trending? And he said, I'll tell you. Because he's at the game, will they play next? Oh, that's what gets you trending again. That's Canada. Twitter. That's right. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. Up next, I uh, call him inspirational. He is Caleb Dahlgren, a former humble bron uh, Bronco, excuse me, who is on the bus that tragic night. We will talk to Caleb next about his journey after to inspire others to get over what they've been through in their lives. We'll do that next. Here on Tim and Sid, ah, Tim and Friends. We settle down from a spirited debate here on Tim and Friends. Ken Reed in studio. Uh, Elliot Friedman played the arbiter and just went where the money was. He's smart, man. He's, <laughs> he's correct. Uh, and we'll do last call coming up here with Jesse Rubinoff in mere moments from now. But, Kenny, uh, a week ago you said, uh, can we have Caleb Dahlgren on the show? And I said, hell yeah, yep. let's do it. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Wow, I uh, met Caleb a couple of years ago at an event in Summerside, PEI, and such an inspiring young guy. Caleb's one of the survivors of the Humboldt Broncos bus accident that touched us all in so many ways. Uh, just a young guy, 23 years old now, and uh, goes to York, part of the York University men's hockey program. And he has written a fabulous book called Crossroads. I read it quickly. It was It's just such a fantastic read, and there's so much more to Caleb than, than what we know about from the headlines and what he went through before uh, the accident is incredible. And we were saying earlier, it's 
if I wrote a book at 23, I, I would call it uh, severely incomplete and inept. <laughs> and this guy, man, he's a, a true inspiration and always such a happy dude. And here he is from from a town that I don't think's ever produced a bad person. I love everybody from yes. Saskatchewan and from Saskatoon. From Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Caleb Dahlgren. Caleb, how are you, buddy? Hey. Good. Thank you so much. Oh, geez. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on here, you guys. really appreciate it. You're welcome, buddy. So I noticed you, you got some stuff there in the background. You had a, a great minor hockey career, but have you ever seen a trophy this big? Seriously, the one I'm... Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was bragging about I wish. juvenile I golf trophy yeah. here. But... The, I, that is I the, wish I had something. That like is that. the Picto Alliance Club 1990 Juvenile Champion. You've seen me sing, swing a golf club, so I mean, this was a field of five. So you know, <laughs> you know, you know, I came by it honestly, buddy. I love it. Hey, you gotta represent what you got. Absolutely. So uh, the book it, it took me so many places, and I I'll admit I cried when I read the thing, and I laughed at some parts as well. I don't want to ask you, first off, why you did it. I want to ask you how you did it yeah. because you let a lot go here. So how did you go through the process of getting this out and getting it on paper? Yeah, I think for me, I really kind of grasped that vulnerability is strength. And normally throughout hockey, as a hockey player, you quit strength as physical strength. But for me, the real strength is being vulnerable and opening up about things I never really even talked about. Um, and there I talked about almost losing my dad and even some of my best friends didn't know how serious it was. And I thought that for me, just opening up and being real and vulnerable and honest and raw was like the way to do this book. And I wanted it to be. And that's how I am as a person. That's how I carry myself. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was, for me, a great way to heal also. And I was able to have a healing process throughout this. And it was cathartic writing at times. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it was super emotional and it was definitely challenging even some days you get put, put the pen to paper. It was definitely difficult, but at the end of the day, it was super cathartic, and I was able to grow as a person and even look back and reflect on people who have supported me in my life. So it was a really great process. Were there times during the writing process where you just said, look, I, I can't do this today, and, and how long did it take you to get into the meat of the story as opposed to, you know, I, I was born and I started playing hockey when I was three. Yeah. Like, to get into the real meat, how long did that take you? Yeah, it was like... I worked with Dan Robson on this and we did an interview process. So it was like voice recording. And so Mm -hmm. it would actually be like me just talking to him in conversation. That was kind of where the meat started. We started kind of with like a little bit of background. Then we like hop right into it. I was like, look, let's get this in. I want want this to have like impact. I want it to be the most, I want to get it out of the way type of piece. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we, we got right into it. And I think it was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was not easy reliving a tragedy about the Broncos talking about that. Or even going back, talking about my being asked type of diabetes and feeling alone. It was definitely difficult. But I also think that there is so much strength. And the whole process was cathartic, too. I was able to piece together things that I haven't really even looked deep into or even explored within myself. And I left the book and myself feeling much better. And uh, I guess fully healed from the situations that I've been in and the crossroads I've had throughout my life. It's amazing to hear you say that, and and Ken knows this. People, a lot of people who watch the show know that I lost my older brother, who was my hero. He was 25, I was 16 years old, and it probably took me, God's honest truth, 10 to 20 years just to open up to people and tell people what the story was, which is why I'm so impressed with what you've done and the attitude. Like I watched you do the media tour and you got a smile on your face. It's amazing. And I remember at times 
in years after thinking, like, I have no idea how I'm going to be happy again. And there's a Canadian boxer named George Chavallo who went through a lot in his mm-hmm. life. And he gave me hope. Um, his story of loss and his inspiration to carry on helped me. Who or what helped you find the strength that I see in you right now? Thank you. That means a lot. And sorry about your loss. Once yeah. again, that's, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, for me, I think it's the perception and how I view life. I was raised by my parents who have instilled values in me, and I'm very grateful for that. But also even the people in my life before and after the crash really have been huge supports. I owe it to my friends, to my family, to my coaches, teachers, to everyone who has played a role, big or small, in my life. And even my teammates too, really, like they've lifted me up through the hard times too, and they've been there by my side. And so I'd say right now, though, his perception is just gratitude. And uh, one of the things is I'm just super grateful for the people I've had and the time I've had them because there's 8 billion people in this world. And for me to even have a relationship with the 16 who aren't here anymore and have them in my life for the time I did is something I'm forever grateful for. And I think that we get caught in this kind of fast-paced world as humans, and we kind of forget who's around us mm-hmm. and how much we have in our life. Like I'm grateful for the fact that I'm even here and breathing and able to talk to you guys and be in this interview and to even write a book. So I want to live big for those who aren't here, but I also want to live big for myself and to continue living my life to the fullest. Because if I was on the other end of a spectrum and I wasn't here, how do I want the people who are here living? And honestly, for me, I'd want them to be happy and following their dreams and doing whatever that they want to do in life and to succeed in whatever they wish. And so I think that's the mindset and mentality that I have going past this situation and trying to just be a positive and make a difference in this world, have a positive impact. It's such a mature way to look at it at 23. I'm, I'm amazed by the maturity. Did you get there or did you work to get there? Like it's... It's, I know you said, and it's very important for people to understand, you said it a lot when you were talking to people, that everyone grieves in a different way. And I had to learn that the hard way. And it's kind of, it's an education when you do go through something like this where you understand what grief means to different people. But what you're saying is so remarkably mature. Did, did it come to you naturally or did you have to work to get there? Yeah, I'd say I have to work to get there. You can't just get here overnight. It's not like a snap of a finger and you're good to go. Um, but I think I was faced with situations in life that challenged me at a young age. And for instance, in the book, uh, diabetes at a young age was challenging. I had to find the positive in that as being diagnosed at four. And even being an outcast, like going to the bathroom, give myself a needle, everyone's looking at you like, what are you doing? Uh, or in the middle of class, you're having a snack. Or during trials, you sit out a shift because you have low blood sugar. And I was like, oh, is he tired? Is he weak? Like, is he out of shape? And so I've dealt with those kind of situations. And then fast forward, um, like my dad, the crash, losing some people in my life as well. I think that I was able to build resilience at a young age. But then afterwards, I had issues in the hospital. Like I, I had that guilt sitting with me. Like, why was I here? And why weren't others? Like, it just didn't make sense. People beside me weren't here. And people behind me weren't here. So how does that make sense? And I think that was hard for me to grapple with and come to understanding. But it also, I have, since I have that gratitude and I had the mindset to, hey, I want to do this for not just me, but for those 16, it is a motivational factor that I use every day. And when I wake up and I think about them, I think of what am I going to do today to live my life to the fullest yeah. instead of, oh, I wish they were here. I, 
I wish I could change stuff. Why, why this, why that? Cause sometimes we'll never get the answers. Right. And I was able to accept that I'll never get an answer for some things and to try to move forward from that in a positive direction. Yeah. Buddy, what, what I got from your book is we can be nice to each other. Cause when the accident happened, it was just this outpouring of, of kindness. And we're in an era where we snipe at each other on Twitter or whatever. We can be nice to each other. And the other thing I got is just what you said. It's just, it's, it's keep going. I, I remember the first time I met you and I, and I never even thought of it until I read the book and you talked about the first time you got back on a bus and how you, you know, people are kind of looking at you. The first time I met you, I thought was on a bus because we were getting ready to go somewhere at that golf tournament and you walked down the aisle and I was like, Hey, you're that uh, dude. You're that, that. And you're like Caleb Dahlgren. And I was like, Oh, and I never thought that you just went on that bus, right? Like, mm-hmm. how are we going to get there? Well, we're taking a bus. And you're just like, yeah, get on the bus. Like, when you think that, oh, man, you wouldn't even want to look at the bus forever. But you, you just go, man. It's so inspiring. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I think, like you said, the support at the start has been, even before the crash with Humble and their community, the way they rallied around us was unbelievable. And so grateful for that community. And then now, after the whole world rallied together, it wasn't even just like, the province or Humboldt or Saskatchewan or Canada. It was the whole world. And just to have that impact and that touch is something so special and helped in the healing process for sure. And I even think, even looking back on it more and reflecting, well, I was in the hospital. I wish more people had that support too. And as I move forward throughout life, I try to be more cognizant of giving support to people when they are going through hard times because we went through a tragedy for sure, but there's other families that go through tragedies in their life and don't get nearly any support. Yeah. So um, that was one of the things I took away was that we need to continue being kind and not just when something terrible happens, but even at the small things and being there for people when they need you. So awesome. Um, I know you've been on the big, the book tour. Has it been fun? Like you've talked to some of the big names in hockey and you've gone around. Like, has it just been fun to kind of get out there and, and shoot the breeze? Yeah, no, it's been really cool. It's nice to connect with people, even like you guys too, like coming on here is super cool experience. And it's kind of weird because I'm not in person. So it's nice because I don't have to travel to (laughs) like across of Canada, I guess. I can literally just be in Halifax today and like five minutes later, I can be in Vancouver. (laughs) Not even like (laughs) you click some button and I'm in Vancouver. So it's like, it's a pretty cool process like that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a cool, unique experience for sure to do this during, during a pandemic. But uh, I actually am really happy to be able to do this because I'm able to pursue my education and not really have to be as stressed about it. So yeah. it works out really well for oh. this time in life. Okay, quickly, I want to get into the education thing. So, so two things for me. How do you complete a degree from York in three years? And tell us a little bit about your diabetes program. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I was fortunate enough to get accepted to York. And uh, they actually have a three-year Bachelor of Commerce degree program. So I just did in the actual three years that it was t- oh, the taste. Oh, well, you're not that smart yeah, then. I'm not that special. Hold on. Not that special. As a guy, as a beauty school dropout over here, I'm impressed. Keep going. <laughs> and then uh, my daughter's diabetes program was before I started in Humboldt when I was 20. I, was, uh, I wanted to start one for a while. It was since I was 16 I wanted to start this program, but I didn't really come to fruition until I was actually in Humboldt because I wanted a community rally around it. And so I invited type 1 diabetic children out to the game. Uh, they'd sit and watch the game, have pre-game ceremonies like you're seeing here. And then um, after the game, i meet with them, talk to them about diabetes and my struggles I had and 
then provide support, do a speech at their school or team, and then invite them into our Facebook group chat with the rest of the families. And so yeah. the whole idea around it was just to be a mentor and be that person that I didn't have growing up. I wanted somebody to look up to. I wanted somebody to ask questions like, hey, if I go to the lake, how do I, how do, I do this? Like, would you bring insulin with you? How do you, like, how do you handle the situation? And so I wanted that support as a child. I never had it. And so I wanted to offer these children support and be a mentor whenever they needed it. Well, buddy, what you've done, what you're doing with your book, it's amazing, Crossroads. I can't recommend it enough. Um, what you've done on the ice, the only thing that, that I'm not impressed with, I thought I was talking to Doogie Howser. I thought you really did, like, a four-year degree in three years. <laughs> Man, I've I'm, done I'm still impressed. Though. I'm still impressed. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks, yeah. Uh, it's thanks. been a great process. <laughs> uh, buddy, congrats. It's, it's yeah. amazing, and I hope we get to cross paths in person again because uh, I know you're just a young guy, but you've inspired a guy that's twice your age, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the kind words. Make it too. Thanks for doing this, Caleb. Thank you very much, you guys. Really do appreciate it. See ya. Hopefully you guys wish you all the best. Absolutely. Give your mom and dad a hug. They're beautiful people. Just know that from reading the book. Awesome. I will for sure. Thanks. There is uh, Caleb Dahlgren uh, from Saskatoon. Buy Uh, that book. It's so good. It's so good. You never met a bad... uh, Never met a bad person from Saskatchewan. Well, we didn't get into it with Caleb about how huge Colby Armstrong is out there. (laughs) Maybe maybe next time around. Ken's going to stick around as we wrap up the show with Last Call. You're watching Tim and Friends and Kenny Reed on Sportsnet. Time for last call. The Toronto Raptors will look to snap their nine-game losing streak tonight as they host the Nuggets. In Tampa, Nick Nurse addressed the reports that he and Pascal Siakam got into a heated argument after Friday's loss to the Cavs. As you guys know that we were uh, down in the game, um, I made a move to pretty much uh, put some energy guys in to cut the game back. And and um, I think I put most of the guys back in there, but it just felt like on the front end of a back-to-back. Again, I was just coaching to win, Josh, and, and trying to think about the game uh, the next night as well. And um, Pascal wasn't um, very happy that he didn't play in the fourth quarter. He expressed those concerns. Um, and that's about it. And the discipline stuff is being worked out with the front office. As far as I'm concerned, I'm coaching Pascal. It was not awkward one bit coaching him the next night. Um, That's where we are. Yeah, well, he sounds like a coach who's in the middle of a the longest losing streak in the NBA at the moment. Do you think Nit Nurse and Siakam can move past this, yeah, Timmy? I mean, the, whenever these things happen, we make a huge deal out of them. Because we love it. Because it's a long season and it's a different storyline. Right, it's a different storyline. But let's be honest, like every coach has gotten into it with at least 50% of his players at one time or another. The gem cannot be polished without friction. It happens. Now, how you get past that and when you get past that and if you get past that are all differing things with differing people. And the answer is they better get past it. They can get past Mm -hmm. it. But there's obviously something there between the two because it wasn't the first time. It was actually the third time this year. So let's roll that camera up in the corner, right? Let's roll that after this show. Watch you and your producers. 
Yeah. Watch what happens on a nightly basis, <laughs> and then watch the magic that will appear on the air tomorrow. It's it's a look. It's a professional relationship. You're you're gonna and in in the sport where guys are vocal, you're gonna get into it. Not everybody loves each other 24/7. What did the Montreal Canadiens used to say about Scotty Bowman? The only day you love him is when you hoist the cup with him, right? Hated so, him for 364 yeah, days, exactly. and on the 365th and I, day, you right. picked up your ring. And I'm not suggesting Siakam hates Nurse, but hey, whatever. It's you move on. It's, it happens. Right. Speaking of moving on. Let's move on. All right. Uh, for the first time in NBA history, tonight's Raptors game will feature an all-female broadcast crew. Megan McPeak and Kia Nurse will have the call with Kayla Gray on the sidelines and Kate Burness and Amy Audebert in studio. Ken, do you think this will be will also be Kyle Lowry's last game as a Raptor? It should be his last game as a Raptor, yes. Absolutely, unless they're jamming in some sort of game I don't know about before the deadline. Yeah, this should be it for Kyle Lowry. Um, you know, I'm no brilliant basketball mind, Tim, but I did say here last week it's over. Move on. And it sucks, and as a fan, you get attached to people, but it's business, and you got to move on. Yeah, I just don't know if the deal out there is available to be made. If not, you just take the cap space and move on. But if the deal is out there, which it sounds like, according to those in the know, that's what's hinging on the next 24 hours here yeah. is whether or not... Uh, the Miami Heat include Tyler Hero, or if Philadelphia gives enough to get him. So I think that's that's where we're at with Kyle. But I think whatever is done over the next 24 hours, it will be with the support of management yeah, it's, and the yeah, support of Kyle. Sure. Yeah. And it'll be something that they both agreed on, so don't get too pissed off. Yeah, it'll be good fan. feelings all around. The statue of Kyle and the jersey retirement, all we'll that all stuff, happen. will still come. We'll all happen. Regardless of Do you really get a statue for winning know, one sta- championship? The Seriously? <laughs> the statue's overstated can everywhere. We, can we comment on the statue treatment? The dude won one championship, Well, but it's okay? not just him. It's everywhere. Everyone right. says, oh, there'll be a statue of that guy out in front. Right. There's not many statues. Like, I remember when they put a statue of Wayne Gretzky in and I worship Wayne Gretzky, and I thought, yeah, that's cool. But there was still a little awkwardness to it. Like, really, a statue? Yeah, there's only so, one statue there, okay, right? Okay, Toronto, I know you're desperate for a winner, but a statue for one championship? <laughs> not, not happening. I just think I hear it. Sorry oh. I uh, brought up the statue. Uh, one more. Today marks the 25th anniversary of the University of Michigan's Mike Legg scoring his famous behind-the-net goal, which became known as... The Michigan, of course it did. We've seen it imitated several times since and called many different things. It's often referred to as the lacrosse goal. Niels Hoglander says they call it the Zorro goal in Sweden, while some others, mainly Canes fans, call it the Svechnikov. So, Ken, what's the best name for this goal? The best name for that goal is the Bill Armstrong. What? The Bill Armstrong. That's what it should be called. Bill Armstrong played one game for the Philadelphia Flyers in the NHL. But he used to work out in the summers with Mike Legg, and Mike Legg saw Billy doing it, and voila, voila. <laughs> Bill did it several times in the IHL and AHL, and Mike Legg did it on TV that was broadcast quality. And uh, Bill's That's minor league teams used to send it into ESPN. They'd say, we can't air this. It's too grainy. <laughs> Boom. The Armstrong. I'll take it. We're done for another day. Thanks, Kenny. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Tim. And thanks, friends. We'll talk to you tomorrow.